Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rudzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Dana Winters, Executive Director of the Fred Rogers Center. Established in 2003 to carry the legacy of Fred Rogers forward, the center, located at St. Vincent College and Rogers' hometown of Latrobe, Pennsylvania, is the official home of the Fred Rogers Archive, as well as several initiatives that focus on helping the helpers, that is, the people who care for, educate, and raise children. Dana, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Greg. I'm so happy to be here. Dr. Winters, we are ecstatic that you're here. And incredible, or at least incredibly to me, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the final episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which aired in 2001. Rogers himself died two years later. And yet, even today, it seems like Fred Rogers is just as popular as ever. We remember him, of course, as a children's television host. And we remember him as a source of kindness in the world. And we also remember him for all the things he taught us about learning. There were lots of sides to Fred Rogers and what he did. How does the Fred Rogers Center define and work to advance Fred Rogers' legacy? I agree. It's hard to believe that it's been 20 years since the last original episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't know that we could ever truly put into words what Fred's legacy is. There's so many pieces to it. You know, we talk about the education of young children. We talk about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Fred being the ultimate neighbor coming into millions of homes across 30 years on public television. There's so much that goes into who Fred Rogers was as a person, as a humanitarian, as an advocate, as an intellectual. However, when I think of the last 20 years, and I look to what Fred gave to so many across his time on television, and then even after that in recording a message on the first anniversary of September 11th. And that message was about hope, and it was about the humanity of all of us. And when we think to the legacy of Fred Rogers, those two words seem to trickle to the top for me at times how Fred was able to not only talk about each of our importance in the world, talk about the importance of our communities and our neighbors, how we are special, how we are loved just as we are, but also to show children through Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and through his many acts of service and advocacy what it means to accept every single person for who they are and to think about what that means to the greater community and humanity. And then also the hope that even in difficult times, even when talking about difficult subjects or topics, we can all find ground to be able to have these discussions, maybe sometimes not necessarily common ground, but where we can find ground of tolerance, ground where hopefully we can get to a place of acceptance to have difficult conversations. That idea of humanity of each of us and the hope that he provided for so many that's what I like to think about when I think of the legacy of Fred Rogers. One of the center's core values is deep and simple. Fred Rogers himself wrote that life is deep and simple, and what our society gives us is shallow and complicated. And I think true to its namesake, the Fred Rogers Center's initiatives tend to be straightforward, refreshingly so. They are practical, 
they are accessible, and yet they don't sacrifice depth. One of the best examples of that is simple interactions. Can you tell our listeners about simple interactions? What is it? How did it get started? And what does it do? Simple interactions is an approach to affirming and appreciating and promoting relationships and interactions as the foundation of all human development. Uh, so it was started about a decade ago, a little bit longer, by my colleague, Dr. Jinlei Lee, who was previously at the Fred Rogers Center, is now at Harvard Graduate School of Education, and remains a dear friend and partner in the work of Simple Interactions. It was started when we were seeing the relationships and interaction moments between adults and children, primarily in early childhood environments, and realizing that there wasn't necessarily a language to talk about how important those moments were, and how we grow from all of the really positive and productive moments that we see in relational spaces. So Simple Interactions was born from that. It is an approach to thinking about these relationships and interactions. It also is a one-page, very simple tool to give us a common language to talk about these interactions. And across the last three to five years, we've begun to expand this thinking Yes, these relationships are very important between adults and children, but they are equally important among the adults around a child's ecosystem. So the adult-to-adult relationships in many child-serving settings, we find similar interaction characteristics. And so it's become a way to affirm and appreciate and promote human interactions and relationships across these settings. And Dr. Winters, I'm thinking about these caring relationships, and you've got words and phrases swimming in my head. Humanity and hope, deep and simple. Make this concrete for me. Tell me about some examples of simple interactions at work in the real world, and maybe some favorite examples. Sure. We've done this in a number of places in typically child-serving settings, everywhere from early childhood providers, family child care centers, orphanage environments, also in formal schooling, informal learning, out-of-school time, children's hospitals. But I think one of my favorite places where we've done Simple Interactions work has been in one of the more unlikely places. I certainly didn't expect to spend six months on the street corners of Pittsburgh filming crossing guards to be able to highlight the importance of interactions and relationships. There was one crossing guard in particular, Miss Paula, it was incredible to watch her in just a few hours in the morning, maybe 10 or 15 seconds at a time, be able to greet every child, every family who came close to her crosswalk that she was in charge of. There is really no moment too small or too simple to have a caring interaction. Even when we think of a relationship with a crossing guard that's built in a couple of seconds in the morning and a couple of seconds in the afternoon, watching countless crossing guards across the city of Pittsburgh and hear them telling me that they really do see themselves as an instrument of care and community where they're serving. Miss Paula in particular said, you know, she doesn't know what has happened before children come to the crosswalk. She certainly doesn't know what will happen when children leave the crosswalk, but she feels responsible for the crosswalk. And I think each of us can think about a place where we may not have a crosswalk, but we certainly have our own space that we feel responsible for in our communities and families. 
Dana, can you tell me what is it that helpers get out of simple interactions? I'm trying to put myself in a crossing guards position, maybe in Miss Paula's position. I'm watching a video recording of my interactions with children, and we're pointing out moments of, as you said, humanity and hope. What does that do for me? How does that change my practice? How does it change me as a person? Sure, Ryan. So you started to allude a little bit to the process of simple interactions, filming these moments of interaction and then reflecting them back to educators or crossing guards or childcare providers, typically in a community. We'll show these moments and we use that simple interactions tool to talk about what it is that we're seeing, what it is we're noticing about the interactions. One thing that I've heard repeatedly is that sometimes those learning sessions feel like a giant group hug, which I appreciate very much because it's a time when we give that space to helpers to be able to see their practice. Oftentimes we hear that many people who work directly with children don't necessarily have the opportunity to know their own practice, but they really want to know what that practice looks like. And so when they have the time to work with peers, to work with other educators, people whose practice looks similar to theirs, when they're able to reflect on what that practice looks like and grow from what they're seeing, what we hear from helpers is that it helps them in terms of their own self-efficacy and collective efficacy when it comes to relationships in their spaces. One thing we have learned through some of our research efforts in early childhood in particular is that educators who have experienced simple interactions, professional learning, have reported lower levels of depression and higher levels of psychological safety within the workplace. And we dug into that a little bit more, and we learned that when educators have an opportunity to see that they have incredible power to be able to make change with young people and be able to use something as simple as an interaction to do so, it gives them hope. It gives them that same capacity then to be able to support others. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Dr. Dana Winters, Executive Director of the Fred Rogers Center. Dana, the scope of Fred's influence is astounding. And of course, he made millions of kids feel accepted and special and safe. He's adored by parents both as a parent like me and as a kid like me. (laughs) And whether they're in classrooms, early learning centers, libraries, museums, any places that kids learn, educators are learning from Fred's methods and his philosophies and his programming and the ways that you're taking that legacy forward. So can you tell us about some of the other work of the center? Let's turn to the educator's neighborhood. The educator's neighborhood is a group of educators who come together to learn from episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and also items from the Fred Rogers Archive to put into practice whatever it is that they do. It started as a very small pilot program in just one elementary school in Pittsburgh Public Schools a few years ago, and then it has blossomed into an international community of educators. This year, we will be supporting nearly 95 educators from 33 states and seven countries to be able to work together in community around education and teaching practice and the philosophy of Fred Rogers. And this year, we have educators who come from early childhood, librarians, we have museum docents, 
child and family therapists, child life specialists, superintendents of school districts, all coming together to learn from Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Can you walk us through this process a little bit? I think it's so interesting to have a group of educators from so many different settings sitting down and watching individual episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. There's so much to unpack in what Rogers was doing in each episode, sometimes from scene to scene. So I'm curious about what are some of the things helpers are learning when they sit down and really closely watch and study an episode of The Neighborhood. So we do this again in community. So typically we have some small groups set up that are led by our staff at the Fred Rogers Center to discuss practice. And then we'll bring bigger groups together and watch episodes together. We typically don't do full episodes because it's just a little bit too much. And we can get into a discussion about 10 seconds of an episode and that lasts us a good 20 or 30 minutes. Usually the educators will come with maybe a problem of practice. Maybe they are noticing that children are having some difficulty focusing or slowing down, or maybe they have some behaviors in the classroom that they're unsure of maybe what the root cause could be and they want to be able to help. And so we will go through an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or possibly a writing from the archive and be able to really notice what it is that Fred does on the screen, how he interacts with others, how he may talk about certain topics, then have time to think about what that looks like in our own lived experiences, our own spaces where we may be teaching or supporting others. For example, we had a community sharing event where we had teachers talking about slowing down and reflecting on how Fred created time and space for interactions to occur even through a screen not rush a child to an answer or move quickly from topic to topic, but allow that space to think. And we had educators from around the world tune into that sharing session and also provide their own experiences where they were able to slow down and provide that space. Educators were able to learn from one another. So at the Fred Rogers Center, you're doing some pretty incredible work with educators, with simple interactions and with the educators' neighborhood and with the resources in the Fred Rogers archive. But it's not just educators you work with. Students, too, are involved in some of your initiatives there, including undergraduates at St. Vincent College. And I know you also lead the Fred Rogers Center Incubator 143 group. Can you tell us more about that and what students are doing in that incubator? So the Fred Rogers Center was really created by Fred when he was finishing his time in television. And he wanted to continue to contribute to the support of children, either through children's helpers or directly with children. But he really wanted to teach to support the next generation of children's helpers, if you will, and wanted to do that on a college campus. And so when the center was designed for St. Vincent College, we know for sure that that was one thing Fred really wanted to do. We have a Fred Rogers Scholars Program. It's a merit-based scholarship and research and service organization where we welcome five students from every incoming first-year class into the Fred Rogers Scholars, and they conduct research, original research, and service all in the legacy of Fred Rogers. So this year, they will be researching the impact of the Latrobe community, so Fred's hometown, on who Fred became and on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And they'll be sharing that with the Latrobe community. 
We also have a research lab, as you mentioned, Incubator 143. Our students there are working alongside us in simple interactions in educators' neighborhood. And each year they also pick a topic to create resources for adults to talk with children about difficult issues. So far in the last five years, we've created resources for children who are experiencing grief and bereavement, resources for a child who has a loved one who has been recently diagnosed with cancer, to talk with children about substance use disorder, about divorce. And then this year we'll be creating resources to talk with children about when a loved one is incarcerated. The students work alongside our archivist to curate materials from the archive, and then they create original resources to be able to support adults in these conversations with children. What is it about Fred, Dr. Winters? We think about his work, and it reaches deep into the 20th century. And here we are 21 years into this century, and yet educators and students and the world is still drawn to Fred. Why? You know, a lot of us, I think, find some deep nostalgia in Fred. At the center, in particular, we tried to push against just the nostalgia for sweaters and sneakers and the feeling we had when we were young. That's important. But I think the reason that so much of what Fred gave to us as children still resonates is because it wasn't just meant for children. So much of what he offered through his writing, through his teaching, through Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, It resonates with us as adults because it was meant as something for all of human development, not just child development. When he said, it's you I like, it wasn't it's you I like until you are the age of 18. Hmm. It's you I like now. It's you I like in this moment who you are, whether you are two or 102, it's you I like. And I think that that message and the messages that we heard as children, those still continue to be relevant for us as adults. And so I don't think we were meant to age out of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't think we were meant to age out of an appreciation of Fred Rogers. I think we were meant to carry this forward for the length of our lives, making decisions and choices and interactions with others that continue to advance all of those teachings that Fred gave to us. How is it that people can find out more about the work of the Fred Rogers Center and its various programs and initiatives? look to our website, which is www.fredrogerscenter.org. We also have active social media on both Facebook and Instagram and occasionally on Twitter. We try to stay pretty true to the words and messages of Fred Rogers through our social media, but we also do promote some of the programs and projects that are open to the general public through those channels. Dr. Winters, before we go, just one more question, please. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? If I go back to the beginning when I talked about humanity and hope, I think as helpers, as adults, as families, educators, the one thing that we can do is to be that source of reminder, not just for the children whose lives move closest to us, but for the children whose lives move even far from us. Not only talk about how important these things are, but that we show how important these things are in our daily lives and practices. Fred kept a note on his desk that was an old Quaker saying that attitudes are caught, not just taught. He lived that 
in every single moment. He showed us what it meant to be kind and compassionate and understanding of others. And we in turn can show that to children around us, to the adults around us, and continue to advance that through the way that we act toward others. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org tomorrow.